Anyways, welcome to our precious marriage series as we are kind of going through the book of First Peter. Uh, again, something we started a while back as we've been kind of going in and out of uh, the COVID stuff, but uh, began by just saying, I love the word precious and Peter uses it a bunch of times. And so I thought, how do we obtain a precious marriage? And Peter's kind of been walking us through all of these things that that, that, that looks like. And so tonight it's going to be just a little bit different. We're going to go ahead and just, we are going to dive right in. First Peter 4, 9 through 19. I'm not going to read all the verses right now because both my wife and myself will probably be reading the verses. So we're just going to jump in and uh, see what the Lord would speak and minister uh, to our hearts tonight. So. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you again uh, for this incredible night. We pray as we open your word, Lord. We know your word, you say that it does not come back void. So take your word, use it to speak and minister to our hearts, the things we need to hear tonight from you. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay. Amen. Just go for it. Okay, for, for us ladies, um, Pat has the title of this uh, session tonight, uh, Rejoicing in Trials. And the other day we were going for a little walk, and I, I saw a sign that said, Fun-tastic dental. Can those two words even go together, fun and dental? Well, that's kind of what our verses are like tonight, rejoicing in trials. It kind of seems like the words shouldn't go together. But remember, as we started this series in 1 Peter, that Peter is in Rome. He's writing to believers that are beginning to face tremendous persecution, some of them even martyrdom, for their faith in Jesus Christ. They were living in a hostile society around them. In particular, the Emperor Nero was, remember, he was the guy that kind of was psycho and would burn Christians for torches and feed them to the lions and make that kind of, you know, sport to watch them die. So some of them were hiding in catacombs. Some were escaping by moving away. Some even questioned maybe why God would allow such trials as they were standing for his name. So this section that we're looking at tonight, I feel like Peter is reminding us where to look for hope. Just as Jesus said and told us in John 16, where he said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And though this world is not our home, it's not our final destination, yet we still have to live here and deal with life here and now. So how then should we live? Well, Peter is going to continue this week to encourage us how to behave as believers. So I'm going to continue on my little B series. Verse 9, he, he starts by saying, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So my first B is be hospitable. For us ladies, that means offer hospitality, share your home, share a meal. That word hospitable means accommodating, kind, social, and unselfish. And I started thinking, think about that as, as wives. Think about our marriages, how they could thrive if I would just be more accommodating to my spouse, more kind in day-to-day -day living, more friendly, just friendly to my spouse, and less selfish. And you know, then Peter throws in those two little extra words at the end, without grumbling. So, oh, why do you have to put that on there? You know, I need to serve my spouse and others without complaining, without whining, without murmuring. And for those of us who are those quiet ones, 
but inside we have a major attitude going on. Listen to what the Phillips version says, without secretly wishing you hadn't got to do. And I, I love that because maybe I'm not the one that complains or says it out loud, but inside, you know, you're kind of got that little, fine, I'll do it. And yet this verse tells us even without secretly wishing you didn't have to. 2 Corinthians 9 tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. Giving can include my time, my talent, my care. It's not just about money. And remember what Jesus told us in Matthew 25, verse 40. Kindness shown to a child of God is as if you did it to the Lord himself. That's a powerful thing for us to be reminded to be hospitable. Verse 10, he goes on to say, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So my second B is be a good steward. Be a faithful, generous distributor of God's grace. As freely as I have received grace from the Lord, and I love it, I ought to be sharing it with others, especially my husband. George MacDonald said this, His grace reaches us, but it should not end with us. And I really like that. If it reaches us, it shouldn't stop with me. I need to be passing it out, especially for my spouse. How often I find in my own life, I've used up all my time, my talent, and my patience on everyone and everything else, and then I have nothing left to give to my spouse. I have no time. I, you know, I'm too busy. I've got all these things to do. I have no grace to extend. Whatever gift or gifts the Lord has blessed us with, we should be using them to serve others, and we need to use them well. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. That's why we're given gifts from the Holy Spirit. Verse 11 goes on to say in 1 Peter, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. For this verse I wrote, To God be the glory. Speaking, serving, helping, whatever it is that the Lord calls you and shows you to do, all should be done to the glory of God and should be done with the strength and the ability that only God provides. Not trying to do things in my own strength, in my own flesh, because we all know that's going to fail. 1 Corinthians 10 31, whatever you do, do all to the glory of Lord, of the Lord. To God be the glory. Moving on um, to verse 12, and even to, uh, just to go back one more time, to God be the glory, but even as we care for our spouse, doing things that maybe you don't want to do, or oh, I always have to do this, do it to the glory of God. It's not about your spouse, it's not about what's going on in your relationship, do it as unto the Lord, and God will be glorified, and we will be blessed. Verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. And for this verse I wrote, be not surprised. Trials are the norm for Christians, not the exception. In the message version, listen to what this verse, how it reads. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. I like that. God's still on the throne. He still sees what's going on. Don't be surprised when life is hard. Why does God allow trials then? Well, look at verse 12. It says, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. 
trials are to try us, to test the quality of our faith, to cause us to draw nearer to the Lord, to prove us. Trials in our marriages test my love for my spouse, cause me to draw near to the Lord for help, for wisdom, for guidance. It proves me. It points out those areas in my life of pride, selfishness, or motives that are wrong. I don't like that, but I need it. So don't be surprised when trials come. Verse 13 goes on to say, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. That was really easy. Be glad. Be glad with exceeding joy. Rejoice. Be very glad. Overjoyed. That's what some of the other versions said. Not because of the trial, but because, as the New Living says, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all of the world. You know, just like Peter telling us tonight, James 1 also says this same thing. He tells us to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? He goes on to say, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete and perfect, lacking nothing. The end result for us when we go through these trials is the patience of God is being developed. It's being cultivated in me. And the glory of God is going to be displayed in our lives, in our marriages. And in that, we can rejoice. Verse 14 says, If you reproach for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. So for this verse, I put, be blessed. The world might insult you. They might make fun of you because you follow Jesus, but God is pleased. It brings him glory and honor, and it is our greatest privilege to to honor him and to serve him. Matthew 5, verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They may not like that you're a Christian, but they've got to see a difference in you, and they just might glorify the Father in heaven. You might be ridiculed for trying to be a godly wife in a world that doesn't value that, but it doesn't matter. Jesus says, be blessed and keep at it. Verse 15 tells us, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. I love the way Peter does that. He's got this whole spectrum of sin. Oh, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I'm not an evildoer. But don't be a busybody either. So my verse for that is, be careful. My actions, my behavior, they do matter. Don't give the world a reason to say, oh, Christians, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. Be above reproach. Be like Jesus and don't suffer for any of these sins that Peter has listed. Verse 16, Peter says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So for that verse, I put, be not ashamed. Instead of being ashamed, praise God for the privilege of being called his daughter. Remember that God has a purpose in any trial he's allowed in each of our lives. You know, the word or name Christian was only used three times in the New Testament. It was actually a derogatory term, little Christ, for the first believers. It was meant to mock them or make fun of them. But they were blessed by being identified with Jesus. What about us? Am I blessed to be a Christian in a world where it's not so cool to be a Christian anymore? Where my convictions are considered intolerance or hate? 
where good is called evil and evil is considered to be okay, where being a godly wife is sort of a mockery and a violation of the, the feminist movement. But Jesus says, don't be ashamed, keep on following me. Verse 17, it says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? For this I put, be a godly example. Live for Jesus. Live for Jesus in a way that there is absolutely no doubt whom you serve. You know, this verse tells us that judgment day is coming. As believers, we don't need to fear that day because Jesus paid the price for our sins. He bore our judgment. But this is no time for us to be dabbling in the sins of the world, riding on the fence with half in the, in the church and half in the world. We need to be a godly example. And being a godly example also means that we need to be a godly wife, one that the heart of her husband can safely trust, one that does him good and not evil all the days of her life. That's what Proverbs 31 tells us, what it means to be a godly example. And as I said before, who knows, by our example, just maybe some of our unsafe friends or family members around us will see the reason that they need to repent or they need Jesus as their Savior as well. As we sang tonight, I love that we sang that, Jesus paid it all for us, all to him we do owe, all of our hearts, our minds, and our lives, we need to be a godly example. Verse 18, it says, Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? So for this one I put, be righteous. If the believers are barely going to make it into heaven, what's going to happen to all the ungodly people? If we just live as if, well, I can do all this because I have grace and I'm saved, what about all those ungodly people that say, well, they do it, so I guess we can do it. We should be more concerned for their salvation as well. Psalm 1-6 says this, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. They're going to hell. We need to be righteous. We need to be the example. Let's not play around in any of those questionable areas. If I'm not sure if it's right or okay to do, it's probably not. That check in my heart is really the Holy Spirit saying no or don't. So I need to call sin for what it is and run from it. In my marriage, I need to remain faithful and true to my spouse. Remember that little vow that we read off or recited at our wedding day? Forsaking all others. Don't pursue or entertain thoughts or chats or other relationships that might lead me astray. I loved Pastor Jeff's message on Sunday in Luke 22, verse 54, when he pointed out when Peter followed at a distance, he became vulnerable and eventually he denied the Lord. Don't be a long-distance Christian. Stay close to Jesus. Abide in him and his word. That's the only way that we can be righteous and stay that way. Finally, in verse 19, Peter tells us, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. For that, I, find, I just put in final, be committed. If God has allowed difficult circumstances or seasons, he has a purpose for my good and that his glory might be accomplished in my life. Stay committed to him. In our marriages, they are going to go through difficult seasons. They're going to go through difficult situations. Be committed to your man. Entrust all things, even the difficult ones, to your heavenly Father who can work all things for good. And it, the Bible tells us that when we cast all our cares upon him, he cares for us. 
At times, life will be hard, but God is always good. And finally, 2 Timothy 1.12, it says this, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. And that's where we put our trust as women of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And guys, though the ladies did B, B for boy, we're going to do G, G for girls. Uh, no, we're, I, I just, again, I, I don't normally do this, but I just came across uh, all these little G's in there that I felt like that could minister to us within our marriages. So verse 9, again, be hospitable to one another without grumbling, without grumbling. Verse 8 reminds us to have fervent love one for another. And the way we can show that love, again, hospitality, back in the olden days, in the times when the Peter was writing this, it was that was something that was very much practiced. Somebody came into town and you opened up your house to them and brought them in and provided hospitality. That was something that was very, very common there. Uh, but, it, but it tells us without grumbling, which is the first of our G words, uh, grumbling. Listen, this is what the Greek term denotes, a muttering or low speaking as a sign of displeasure. One more time, a muttering or a low speaking as a sign of displeasure. And what a picture of how men we should not be. And we can all fall into that trap of doing the, the muttering or the low speaking as a sign uh, of displeasure. But again, when we fall into that, the, the, the muttering, the grumbling, the complaining, the enemy will get in and use that to destroy the marriage. Again, remember the enemy that's out there wants to divide and conquer. He wants to destroy your marriage. In fact, back Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, He's talking about the children of Israel as an example to us. And this is what he says. He says, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, the manna that was left there. They drank from the same spiritual rock. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But listen to this. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. With most of them, God was not well pleased. And one of the reasons God was not well pleased was because of their grumbling, their complaining, their muttering against God, against Moses, against anyone who would listen. And yet, because of that, they all ended up dying in the wilderness, not entering into the promised land. Listen, men. If we allow for the muttering, the grumbling, the complaining to be a part of our marriage, we are going to end up in the desert and we're never going to enter in to that promised land, that the precious marriage that God wants us to experience and to have. So let's be very, very, very careful with the muttering, the grumbling, the complaining. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And again, both Peter and Paul, they make the statement that we've all been given those gifts. You know, when we accept the Lord Jesus uh, Christ, we receive the gift of forgiveness, the gift of grace, which is, again, as Mary showed, it's not just for us, but it is for others. But also Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Ephesians chapter 4, all talk about how God has given us gifts, and he wants us to use those things in, uh, to 
you know, help the ministry as, as the work of the ministry. But I want to look at a gift tonight that has to do with us here, men, and that is the gift of your wife. God has given you a gift. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favor from the Lord. She is a gift. Your wife is a gift from the Lord. And yet, how are we looking at the gift that God has given us? Are we looking at her as a gift from the Lord? Or are we looking at her as the enemy? Because again, if we're viewing her as the enemy or as the problem, that's how we see her. That's how we're going to relate to her. And yet, we're, we're not going to follow in God's command of cherishing and loving her in the way God would ask us to do that. And then we'll start treating her in that way that she is the enemy. And it's unhealthy and it's just not good. And again, the enemy is wanting to get in and to tear that apart. But God has given us this gift. And we need to understand that. She is a gift from the Lord. And we need to honor and cherish the gift that God has given us. The gift of our wife. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Verse 11 says, If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong glory and the dominion forever and ever. I don't know why, but I kind of had this in my notes. It, you know, listen, um, God has made each and every one of us in a very unique and a very special way. Unfortunately, a lot of times we try to be something that God has not made us. We try to be someone that we're not, and we spend our time being someone that we're not, and we end up frustrated and, and just feeling like we're failures or just feeling like we're unuseful for the kingdom of God. It is a trap, and it's a trap from the enemy. We need to be who God has made us to be. That's who we want to be. We want to be who God has made us. But he tells us here that if anyone speaks, and so I kind of hone in on the speaking thing. Men, how are we doing with speaking? I haven't got to the G yet. But how are we doing with speaking to our wives? What is it that's coming out towards our wives? You know, the Lord is extremely gracious with us. He desires us to be gracious with others. Let your speech always be with grace. So this one was G. Are our words, are there our speech, is it gracious towards our wives? David says in Psalm 14, he said, let your speech, he says, excuse me, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Again, men, we say this all the time. Our words can build or our words can tear down. They can be gracious or they can be destructive. And I just felt like God was wanting to remind us again, be very, very careful of the way in which we are speaking to our wives. Listen, gracious words will bring about a precious marriage, and that's what we want. I don't know about you, but I know I want that. Gracious words. Be careful what you're speaking. Verse 12. Do not, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. I find it's funny that Peter says this, because remember it was Peter who told Jesus that going to the cross and suffering was not a part of God's plan, and that he thought that was a little strange, to which Jesus responded, hey, get behind me, Satan, because you're not mindful of the things, uh, you're mindful of the things of men, not the things of God. And yet here we have Peter saying that anyone now, later, after the resurrection, anyone uh, who does not think that suffering is a part of our Christian life is strange. Listen, 
fiery trials can bring about something. They can bring about grief, and that would be my word for this verse, is grief. Fiery trial that God uses to purify our lives can also be used by the enemy to cause grief within our marriage. And yet Peter would say, listen, don't think it's strange when these things happen. But as well, don't allow the trials or the grief caused by them to bring about separation with our wives. Don't allow that. The enemy, again, he wants to divide and conquer. And he will use trials that are going on to try to get us to separate, to accomplish his task. Yeah, Listen, a precious marriage is going to experience grief. And maybe right now, you might have it going on. There might be grief with money, grief with the kids, grief with mom or dad or family, grief with just life, work, whatever. Listen, don't allow the enemy to turn that into something that divides your relationship with your wife. Verse 14, but rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Again, we don't think it's strange or the God must be mad at me uh, because I'm going through this. But we're to believe that, listen, everything that happens is father filter, which means what? It means everything that happens to me, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever that would be, I have to believe and understand that it goes through the father's hands. And somehow, some way, he wants to use that within my life. But what he wants to do through that is bring about something. And I wrote down gladness. It's gladness. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy will come in the morning. The psalmist said, you've turned my morning into dancing. You put off sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. The hope we have in the midst of the trial is that gladness and joy will come through the trial. This is the, the biblical way of saying it is, this too shall come to pass. We kind of say, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, it's kind of saying the same thing. And, and what that light is at the end of the tunnel, or this too will come to pass, is God bringing about that gladness and the joy within our lives. Song of Solomon, the book on kind of on the, that relationship there. When speaking of the groom, it says this, on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. The gladness of your heart. We just had somebody get married here last week. Is there gladness in your heart? Okay, good. Amen. Amen. Again, the gladness of her. That's what it should be. If we go back and remember, man, you know, that's why I have pictures of my wedding on my wall and at home and stuff. And why? Because I love to look at that. It, it brings about that gladness. But yet, what does the enemy want to do? He wants me to look at that picture and just say, yuck. You know, all the trials, all the tribulations, it's done this, it's bring about separation. Man, don't allow the enemy to bring that about. Remember, everything's Father's filtered. He wants to use it within our hearts and lives. And eventually, the light at the end of the tunnel is he wants to do gladness within our hearts and our lives. Verse 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you on their part. He is blaspheming, but on your part, he is glorified. Again, Acts 5, remember Peter, John getting beaten, standing up for Jesus. It says they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. On your part, on your part, he is glorified. Glorified is the next G that I have there. Listen, what is our part in the marriage? 
Guys, what is our part in the marriage? Again, Ephesians 5, husband, love your wife. Just as Christ of the church and gave himself for it, would have laid down our lives. Colossians chapter 3, husband, love your wife. Don't be bitter towards them. 1 Peter 3, 7, um, dwell with them with understanding. Continuing on, honor them as the weaker vessel. That, that's our part. It should be our part as husbands in the marriage. Listen, <laughs> I get a call this last week. A guy calls the church, and I happen to be at the front. And uh, he calls the church, and he says, uh, hey, and I know who this is. Hey, hey, Pat, how you doing? Good, good, good. Well, I went in to see a counselor the other day because uh, I want a divorce, and I want out of my marriage. And I told the counselor what's going on. But at the end of that, I told the counselor, but I'm a Christian. And so the secular counselor looked at him and said, you know what? Before we do anything, I want you to go and talk to a pastor, go call your pastor, and then come back and tell me what he says. So he explains to me why he wants out of the marriage. Listen, six years ago when we got married, I told her I want her to, to be a part of the household and helping out with the finances. And she's not upheld her part, so I should be able to divorce her, right? And I went, wow, okay. So I said, okay, well, let, let's stop and talk about what your part is. Husband, love your wife, Jesus Christ, of the church, and gave himself for it. That means you're supposed to lay your life down. Boy, it doesn't seem like you're laying your life down right now. Husband, love your wife, Colossians, and don't be bitter towards him. It sure sounds like you're being awful bitter towards your wife right now. Husband, are you willing to dwell with her with understanding? It doesn't seem like it. Husband, are you willing to honor her? It doesn't seem like you're honoring your wife at all. So there's four things that God tells you to do, and yet you want to hold her to something that God doesn't tell her to do. God doesn't say, okay, wife, make sure you provide for your husband. And, and, and yet you want me to tell you that it's okay for you to walk out of the marriage because you're prideful and arrogant and selfish and self-centered right now, right? Dead silence, dead silence. And I just like, and I, I'm like, what do you expect me to say? And he just goes, wow. What I found interesting is that he had convinced himself that his thinking was right and that God was, was okay with him doing that outside of the word of God. Again, what is our part? Our part. Our part is to do those things, to, to love our wives, to dwell with them, uh, with understanding, honor them, to not be bitter towards them. That is our part. Listen, when she is loved, God is glorified. When we're not bitter towards them, God is glorified. When we dwell with them with understanding, God is glorified. When we honor her as a weaker vessel, God is glorified. Again, men, this is our part. I, I always stop and say, am I doing my part? That's what needs to happen first. Why? Because we want God to be glorified in our relationship. We want God to be glorified in our marriage. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, or busybody in other people's marriage. And again, as Mary shared, I love the fact that he puts all of these together. I mean, it's the murderer, the thief, the evildoer. Again, listen, God does not grade sin. You know, I remember growing up Catholic and stuff, there was the, the white lies and then the, the not so, you know, whatever. It was all these different grades of sin. And then when you went to confession, you know, you wanted to make sure you confessed at least something or, you know, whatever the case may be. But God doesn't grade sin. Listen, my pride uh, put Jesus on the cross uh, just as much as someone else who commits murder or just as much as someone else does any of these other things that he's talking about. But yet, I love this here, because what I think is, 
when I was thinking of the busybody, I came up with a G word for busybody, which is the gossip. And, and again, when it comes to marriage, men, again, please be very, very careful about what you say to others concerning your marriage, especially talking with family members, coworkers, people at church. Don't include others in your personal matter. I always go back to this example. Remember Noah in, in chapter nine there when they got through the flood and then Noah, you know, they, they leave the ark and it says Noah became a farmer and he had a vineyard and he got drunk one night and he goes into his tent and he's laying there naked and his, his son Ham walks in and sees his father nakedness and he goes out and he tells everybody about it. You know, his other brothers, but his other brothers, they grab a blanket, they turn around, they walk in backwards, and they lay the blanket on their dad, and they don't see his nakedness, and they walk out. Remember what verse 8 says there? Love does what? Covers a multitude of sins. I've shared this many times. Listen, my wife could have destroyed me with her family if she chose to. I was a knucklehead and did a lot of really stupid things. She could have chose to do that, but she chose to love to honor and to, hey, I'm not going to tell everyone all the things that are going on. Let's be very, very, very careful when it comes to that, what we're communicating. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Again, Paul tells us in Romans 8, I consider the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And again, remember in chapter 2 of, of 1 Peter there, where it says, this is commendable. And that word commendable meant, this is grace. Listen, when we endure grief and suffering caused by someone else, we need grace. Commendable. This is grace. Listen, our wives need grace. Our wives want grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. That's my G here is the word grace. And again, listen, men, we deserve hell because we're sinners. And yet God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. And what we don't deserve is his unmerited favor. What we don't deserve is his forgiveness and, and, and peace and hope. He gives us his grace. And you know what? He calls us to extend that same grace to our wives. I find it interesting that almost all the New Testament books begin by saying grace and peace desperately needed within. I don't know about you, but I know it's desperately needed in my marriage each and every day. Prayerfully, it's what's needed in yours. So allow that to be a part of your marriage. Verse 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? Listen, one of the reasons I wanted to teach First Peter was just to teach this verse. And, and, and because of all the things that are going on in the world in which we're living at. And I'm like, wow, I really do believe that, that God is judging his church. But... I kind of had the wrong concept. I was kind of thinking that God is just kind of like wanting to beat us over the head with a two by four. And that is never the heart of God. For the Christian, the fiery trial is what God uses to purify us. And the believer's judgment is for that purpose, to purify us, not to punish us. Our punishment will settle once and for all on the cross where Jesus took upon himself my sin, your sin, the sin of the world. So in the context of suffering, God uses suffering as a judgment in a positive and purifying sense 
for us believers. Those who do not obey the gospel, well, their judgment is not going to be a good thing. They're going to experience the wrath of God. Listen, when you take fire and you, you put it to gold, it melts the gold and it brings all of the yuck that's in the gold, the impurities up to the top, and then the guy can sift it off. But the, the fire melts that gold and it purifies it. You take that same fire and you put it on wood and it will consume that wood. It will consume it. The fire of God will do the same thing with us. For those who obey, it purifies. Those who disobey, they're going to be consumed. Judgment begins at the house of God. Speaking of God's purifying work within our hearts and lives, but what about moving beyond God's house? What is going on within our own house? Is there, this was my G word, gospel obedience? Is there gospel obedience within our own lives? Are we obedient to what the gospel is asking us to do within marriage, within the home? Can we say like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen, all of us, that, that should be a little thing, a plaque or something that we put outside our door. Every time we walk in, we would read that. It says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Just as a reminder that that is what should be going on within our hearts and our lives. Is there the gospel obedience within the home? Verse 18, now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Again, Peter quoting from the Proverbs, reminding us that discipleship is something that is not easy. Again, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Again, it takes dying to self, and suffering can be a part of how God works in our lives. And if that's the case, what about those who don't walk. Well, the 10th thing I was looking at was the godless. Where are the ungodly and the sinner appear? Again, just like I learned a few weeks ago, men, we are going to be graded by the way in which we act and conduct ourselves with our wives. We are going to be graded on that. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And yet if we are found acting in a godless way, uh, the judgment is not going to be good. Whether we're acting godless in the home or outside the home. Um, the wrath and the judgment of God is what we have to look forward to. But if we are honoring God and honoring his word, then that we will be godly, not godless. Don't allow your home to be godless, but allow your home to be a God-fearing home. 19, and finally, therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Again, and I loved it because Mary had the same thing. Committing our souls to the Lord. Commit to him. Even though there may be suffering that's going on, uh, commit our marriage to him. Even with whatever it is that's going on, that we would, here's the G word I picked, was guarantee our commitment. Men, again, commit your souls to him in doing good, not doing evil, in doing right, not doing wrong. We need to make that commitment for our home, for our lives, guarantee that commitment because he cares for us. God has a purpose and a plan, even through the trials and tribulations. We don't always see what that purpose and that plan is. Our part is to commit ourselves to him. He is the one who will walk us through. But we need to be men and men of the word and men of our word when it comes to commitment. 
Again, we made a commitment one day standing there at an altar. And, and again, regardless of you're in Vegas or wherever, we made a commitment. And whether we think God was watching or not, he did and he was. And are we willing to honor that commitment? Are we going to guarantee that we are going to commit ourselves to the Lord, commit our marriages to the Lord, and allow God to move and work in spite of the things we see and in spite of the things that are going on? Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, as we have these B words, being these things and these G words, some that we should be doing, some we should not be doing. Yet, Lord, I pray and ask, would we take these things to heart? Would we allow you to move and to work and to speak, God, um, refining us for those? And I'm going to believe that most of us sitting here today have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We would say that we are Christian, that we are believers. And Lord, as your word would say, let us give us the strength by your spirit to not act ungodly, but to act God-fearing, God-honoring. Help us, Lord, as men, as women, to do our part in the relationship, our part in this thing called marriage, that we would have a precious marriage and you would be honored and glorified in and through. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.